coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. This is really funny. I sort of have a trifecta of evil in food for me. <laughs> and you're going to laugh when I tell you what it is. It's uh, pickles, mustard, and mayonnaise. I won't touch them, but there's a caveat to this, okay? So before, before you get all up in arms. <laughs> as far as pickles, do you like other pickled items? Like we're talking about like normal, when people say pickles, they're normally talking about pickled cucumbers. Yeah, a big, a big giant dill pickle is, is sort of, um, I feel like I'm being bludgeoned. <laughs> Christmas, when I was 10 years old, it was Christmas, my parents got me a guitar. And uh, I was really bad for a very long time. Yeah. And then at some point, I started being less bad. And uh, I was less bad for a very long time. And uh, I'm, I'm sort of just now starting to feel like I can play a little bit on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> So you have 13 albums out, is that correct? I have no idea. <laughs> well, that's how many I counted on your website. Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button, and you'll get notified when an episode is ready for download. And then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, our featured guest is international jazz artist Nate Najar. Nate has 13 albums out, has toured the world, is a total foodie, and was born, raised, and lives in St. Pete. After Nate, we'll check out the latest, tastiest new salads at Greenstock, one of our favorite places for lunch. We, we have, have a great, great show, show, so stick, stick around. around. Ramen is the ultimate comfort food and Booyah Ramen on the 900 block of Central Avenue is my go-to. It's so freaking good. The broth is like a silky blanket to warm up your mouth, and the hearty proteins, or just mushrooms for vegetarians, it'll have you saying, ooh, mommy, the umami is making my eyes roll back in my head. My favorites are the pork belly and the short rib. Mmm. And then there's the noodles. O-M-G. Go get the best ramen in St. Pete at Booyah Ramen at 911 Central Avenue in the Edge District of downtown St. Pete. Do ya, Booyah? Hey foodies, do you know about the Zest podcast? If you're listening to us, you should be listening to them too. They're part of the Tampa NPR station WUSF 89.7. On the Zest, you'll learn new recipes, baking tips, and barbecue secrets. You'll hear about what's ripe, what's growing, and what's in season. The Zest Podcast is hosted by Robin Sussingham, an award-winning reporter and producer who's also an avid home cook and baker. Robin's a native Floridian and has been searching out flavors 
and the fascinating stories behind them from Key West to Pensacola. Learning to care for a sourdough starter and learning to bake sourdough breads really speaks to people in a very deep way. It's part of our collective history and we're getting back to our roots and our self-sufficiency. Just like us, the Zest podcast has interviews with chefs and restaurateurs and talks about food and recipes covering the Tampa Bay area and throughout Florida. It's what we listen to when we're not doing our own show. Check out the Zest podcast at thezestpodcast.com. Please welcome international recording artist, local St. Pete resident, and fellow foodie, Nate Najar. Welcome, Nate. Welcome, Nate. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Lori. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. Absolutely. And you you have a nice voice, but you but you don't sing much, do you? You do not want to hear me sing. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny I I say that, but I um uh if I drink too much during the intermission, uh, I might sing a song on the second half of the show. Uh, and a very limited repertoire of things that uh, seemingly, you know, I don't know if they actually work, but seemingly they work because of what the material is and not because of my singing. Yeah. You just have this really like calm and soothing It's soothing. Boy. It's very you, soothing. You could be a doctor, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. I, the reality is I just got up and uh, and I should still be sleeping, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Sorry about that. You're getting my midnight voice, to be honest. <laughs> ah. Yeah, and speaking of shows, and we'll go into the details later, but... You have a, your, I think it's an annual show. Don't you do it every year? Yes, this is, um, I think this is the um, 13th year we've done it. I oh, wow. Think, but I'm not sure. I'd have to yeah. go back and So it's a, your Christmas show coming up at the Palladium. Nate Najar's Jazz Holiday. Jazz Holiday. Nice. And Nature James Suggs is on, in that too, right? Yep. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We know James from Gloria West. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I was December 11 at the Palladium. Yes, and that's a Friday at 7.30, and we'll remind everybody about that later on as well. Yes. Yeah, we know James from Gloria West. I was one of two executive producers on her uh, album that set a world record for the, how long it took to make. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> James can vouch for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were actually in the, st- we sat in on a studio session uh, recording with James one day. Oh, very so, cool. so, Nate, you are well-known for playing a nylon string acoustic in the classical method. And lately you've been playing a lot of uh, bossa nova style of music. But when I see or hear your name, the first thing that immediately pops into my head is it's a good day from the Until Now album. Oh wow, that's interesting. You know, um, a, lo- a lot of people mention uh, "Groove Me," which came out about a year after "Until Now." That was a, a thing I did with Melba Moore, and right, it was a, that uh, peaked at number eight on Billboard. That was a top ten Billboard hit. So, nice, yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's still paying my condo fee. Nice, <laughs> that's great. I love when that happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a good day, probably for me, because it was probably the first song I heard from you. I think. Oh wow. So, so before you tell your story, I want to tell a quick little story about how this interview came about. So as I said, I originally heard your music like over 10 years ago, just pass- passively listening to the smooth jazz station in the car. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward to 2017, I see that you're doing the, uh, the holiday jazz show at the Palladium. And then I find out that you live in St. Pete. I'm like, whoa, how cool is that? 
So we went to the Christmas show. We did. Loved it. Oh, wow. And and then I friended you on Facebook and you accepted my request. I'm like, now I have a way to get to Nate. (laughs) (laughs) So now to the present. So I've actually had your name on my list of potential podcast interviews for almost a year. Wow. Why so long? Because I, we need to be able to have some food conversations for this show. And I didn't know if you were into food. So now back in October, I posted the 10 best salads and you were the first to comment. And it went like this, Nate Najjar, nice list. Those all look inviting. My favorite salads in town are first and foremost, those I make at home. And then those at Mickey's cafe and organics. My biggest gripe with eating salads out is that I'm not a fan of the American trend of gloppy and thick dressing. I always prefer subtle, lightly dressed salads that are tossed in a way that the ingredients are just lightly and evenly coated. If you've ever had my Caesar or my traditional vinaigrette, you won't want anything else. (laughs) I was like, okay, time to ask him for an interview. That's (laughs) a little egotistical, but I love my salads. I'm very, I'm protective of my salads. (laughs) I'm the same way actually. Kevin says I make the best salads. Mm, yeah. I have one sometime. You guys could have a, a, a salad. We could off, have a salad off. off. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a competition. It's a, <laughs> right. It's a, we, we, what we, what we're doing is, is we are just, uh, um, all together enjoying this beautiful, real food together. That's right. what we're doing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We've always been into salads, but we've been getting into them even more lately. We recently got a membership at Brick Street Farms. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever had their stuff. I yeah, the um they used to sell their stuff over at Locale, so I'd pick it up sometimes. Oh yeah, cool. Would pinch. Well, yeah. you know they they're now in Publix. Oh, that's wonderful. You can get their lettuce at in Publix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things I really like about it is that it lasts a long time. It does. And you don't have to wash it. Right. That's because <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't trucked from, you know, halfway around the world uh, to get here, so it's uh, Right. It lasts that much. Whatever transit time the other stuff in the grocery store takes, that's what. Uh, that's how much longer it's going to last here. Right. Yeah. And lately for dressing on our salads, we've just been doing um, really good Italian DOP uh, olive oil and red wine red vinegar. Red wine and salt and pepper, that's yeah. A, that's, a, that's a salad dressing. That's mm-hmm. perfect. So vinaigrettes. So you prefer an unstable emotion. Em- Emotional? Emotional. (laughs) Yeah, it's easy for me to say. Emulsion. Emulsion. Where, you know, because oil and vinegar, you have to shake it to mix it up. Right. And then the uh, dressings that are stable emulsions are due to the presence of a protein, i.e. mayonnaise. Ah. And I got that from my online culinary course, ruby.com. Well, I'll tell you, you don't need to use mayonnaise. And you know, it's funny. I have a, this is really funny. I sort of have a trifecta of evil in food for me. (laughs) And you're going to laugh when I tell you what it is. It's uh, pickles, mustard, and mayonnaise. I won't touch them, but there's a caveat to this. Okay. So before, before you get all up in arms, (laughs) caveat to this, but pickles, mustard, and mayonnaise, I won't touch. And it's, it's an irrational fear that stems from my childhood where I had, it, not at the same time, of course, but those were three things that, uh, for one reason or another, when I had them, they they were presented in such a way that was just really uh, scarred me emotionally. Um, but you know, like for instance, I know a lot of a lot of people really like that you know bright yellow American like Hellman's bright American mustard, and it's uh, I can't do it. And and mayonnaise, you know, a lot of people just you know I've seen people eat out of the jar of mayonnaise, and oh, yeah, that's, that's a little weird. much. Yeah, that's a little crazy. 
Ew, gross. So, like, I won't, I won't use mayonnaise that that you know that you would buy. But um, and I say I don't eat mayonnaise. But for instance, when I make a Caesar salad, uh, there's mayonnaise in it. It's just I made it when I made the salad. It's right. part of the whole process. But back to the back to the vinaigrette, uh, you don't necessarily need mayonnaise to bind it together because, and, and like I said, I don't like mustard. But the the perfect mustard for it is uh, the ancient whole grain Dijon mustard, that, mm-hmm. um, and that that binds together the um, uh, the oil and the vinegar and uh, and the lemon. You know, it, it, it binds your base and your acid together in a way to create the perfect emulsion for your vinaigrette. But there's other ingredients in the vinaigrette besides just the oil and vinegar and mustard. Although it is a um, a very simple simple process. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you, do you use any uh, like any aromatics or herbs? Uh, sometimes. Uh, it, uh, it, it depends what I have on hand. We, um, we don't usually have them on hand, so um, not necessarily. But like with an Italian thing, I'll, you know, I'll do oregano or basil or something. If you, you, know, if you chop mm-hmm. up some basil really fine and a little oregano and put that in with, the, with what you were describing, you know, the red vinegar and, mm-hmm. uh, so, and some good olive oil, then uh, that, that, can be pretty, uh, that can be pretty hip. You know what I found with salad dressings, uh, or not even with salad dressings, just with any time that you're going to use olive oil. When, and I discovered this a very long time ago. Uh, and I, I was really proud of myself when I discovered it. And <laughs> it was that uh, you know you go to the store and you buy olive you buy olive oil and you know you could even buy the expensive one and they you know they taste all different. But one day I had a really exquisite olive oil and it was an accident. It was I was at the um, uh, the Lebanese market up on Fifty Fourth Avenue. We're we're Arabs and uh, so we go we go to the Lebanese market. We buy fresh pita bread. We buy tabbouleh things like that, right? So mm-hmm. and they uh, I saw they had these giant jars of olive oil and they're they were pretty back in the, at, i don't know what they cost now but back then they were like eight bucks for a huge <laughs> like 32 ounces you know? mm-hmm. so i was like why is this so let me try this and so i bought this and i tried it and it was exquisite and i looked at it and this particular olive oil was uh palestinian and but the key that i discovered was that it was all the olives were all from the same place not the same region, right. cool. from the same place, right? Oh, wow. So then I tried a Lebanese olive oil. It was the same thing. So that when I went to the Publix, I started looking at the jar, at the uh, bottles of olive oil to see what um, where they come from. And a lot of them, even the expensive ones with the fancy labels, but they're still kind of big market products type, those ones, they'll say may contain oils from these locations. And then it just, right, mm-hmm, right. So forth. And they'll have a code on it. So, you know, the, you'll buy like a Colavita, for instance, just throwing something out or a Vigo, you know, and, and you look at it and the, uh, the olives will have come from Spain, Italy, Greece, uh, the, and maybe, and sometimes there's four or five or six different places all mashed together to Starbucks coffee, you know, it's, it's, there's, uh, there's, there's no flavor because it's just, uh, uh, it's randomized in a way to give them a consistent, but bland product. Right. Right. Yeah. We learned about that too. Yeah. Yeah. Because they can, so they'll, they can get olives from all over the place, but then they ship them all to Italy Right. And then they put real big on the label Italian right. olive oil, but then real small fine print on the back says may contain olives from all these other places. Yeah. Right. If you get one where it's all Italian or all Spanish or all, the, uh, then it's going to have a much more refined sense of real taste to it rather than some bland, uh, slippery product. Right. Yeah. H- have you seen, uh, Nate, have you seen uh, salt, fat, acid, heat? 
Uh, I haven't, but uh, Daniela has, and she keeps. She's crazy about food documentaries, so she keeps telling me to. to yeah, we, there's there's a whole olive olive oil. It's it's an amazing documentary. We've watched it at least three or four times. I can't even remember how many times. But last year for Christmas, Kevin bought me the olive oil from that actual episode, um, and it's all from Liguria, and it was exquisite. You can't get it anymore, so no. don't even try. Oh yeah. wow. Okay, oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, so we're yeah. That's uh, uh, when I found that out. That was just that was really hip. And now it's easy to buy olive oil because it doesn't have to be this one. It just has to be you know follow certain parameters, and all of a sudden, yeah. it tastes so much better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, really cool. And you have to pay attention to expiration dates on them because people don't realize olive oil expires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you just I just have to look at it when we buy it. We use it so much, it's never going to expire. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Which is good. So, just going back for a second. So, it's yellow mustard that you don't care for. Well, like you know, I'm not going to be slathering mustard on anything because I, it's just not something I I particularly enjoy. Um, but uh, I do use the, the the real Dijon mustard in my in my vinaigrette because it's a very necessary component. Right. right. So, and then as far as pickles, do you like? Other pickled items, like we're talking about, like normal when people say pickles, they're normally talking about pickled cucumbers. Yeah, a big, a big giant dill pickle is is sort of. Um, I feel like I'm being bludgeoned. <laughs> I eat one, so I'm. Uh, yeah, but you know, like you know, pickled. Uh, well, for instance, you know, in in um, in uh, Lebanese cuisine, uh, you know, there's all kinds of pickled uh, vegetables that happen as accoutrements to the. Uh, to, to everything and you have pickled radishes and pickled onions and things like that. And of course, yeah, I'll eat those all day long. Right. You know, I have to sadly admit that I am unfamiliar with Lebanese cuisine. Can you enlighten me a little? I, I promise you, you're not unfamiliar with it. If you've eaten okay. bouli, if you've eaten pita bread, if you've eaten hummus, you've eaten Lebanese cuisine. If you've ever had a falafel, okay. you've eaten Lebanese cuisine. Baba ganoush? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I have to take that back then. Yeah. yeah it's Mediterranean. It's very Mediterranean. Just. Yeah. There's a lot more and, to it. They, there's certain, you know, the, some of the seafood dishes and the preparations and stuff are just amazing. But uh, basically, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's hummus and pita and tabbouleh and all that good stuff. Right. So if I want to make a, like a main dish, what are a couple ideas of something I should uh, learn to make? Uh, we don't do it in this household anymore because Daniela and the kids are vegetarian. But, uh, ah. you know, like a... a uh, lamb. There's a, a million different ways to do lamb. Uh, it's very, very common. Um, there's uh, all kinds of uh, shrimp and, and fish type dishes. There's uh, uh, kefta is a very, very common dish, which is it's basically meatballs. You know, how you make meat uh, it's mm. like meatballs uh, by by taking the meat and the other things and m- m- kind of. I don't want to say mushing it all together, but you know, you, you create a, you kind of do yeah. And then you, so calf does the same thing, except they're not balls. They're usually made into sticks and mm. it's, you know, pine nuts and spices and, and some other aromatics. And there's other things in it. Uh, and it's usually lamb, uh, or lamb and beef. Uh, but, uh, the basic concept of calf does a meatball and it's delicious. Okay. Yes. We're going to have to make that. We've seen it on um, an Anthony Bourdain episode, I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They went to uh, Lebanon right when that uh, whole six-day thing. Oh, right. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you saw them running, yeah. Yeah. So you've done uh, national and international touring. Any favorite places with great cuisine? Favorite places with great cuisine? Um, well, I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to answer that one precisely like that yet, because I'm going to say one of the places I went that I didn't know much about 
and was really surprised at how good the cuisine was is when I went to Australia. Mm. Oh, wow. We, uh, Interesting. we did a week in Melbourne, Australia. Mm. And um, uh, it, it, it's nice. Those kinds of gigs don't really happen anymore. This, kind of before my time back in the day, those gigs were, uh, that type of gig is what jazz artists did for decades in terms of gigs where you'd go and you'd play a room for eight shows. You'd be there for a whole week. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, two shows a night or something or uh, two shows on the weekend and one during the week, et cetera, et cetera, depending on the type of, of, of town you're in. But so you kind of post it up and you got to get to know a town and hang out and you get your little route and so forth. And apparently Melbourne, Australia is a real food town. And mm-hmm. um, cool. it was it was incredible. I could not believe how good and of course the variety was amazing and there that's kind of uh well australia it's underneath southeast asia so there was a, a great deal of asian influence in the food but um we had malaysian food and indonesian food uh had some exquisite chinese food um but in australia uh-huh yeah wow yeah, that's cool i've uh the the best chinese food i've had is uh uh that I, is in London, and it's not because it's in London, but you know, major cities have have real restaurants, of course, and and mm-hmm. and so I there's a couple of places in London that I really I prefer to go to. Like if I'm thinking Chinese, I'm going this place in Queensway uh, called uh, which is like Notting Hill almost called Camtong, uh, and it's just it's just an incredible Cantonese restaurant. You know, it's it's your it's your regular, uh, you know, the ducks are hanging in the window, that kind of thing. You know? That's awesome. <laughs> there's, uh, there's 20 places like it in New York, you know, it's the, and I've eaten at very good places in New York, but this one in London, I really prefer. And there's a Szechuan place over by um, King's Cross. That's really amazing. And so, yeah, but the, you know, the big cities with the, the big cities, especially outside of the United States have exquisite Chinese food I've found. And so I tend to seek it out when I'm on tour. Yeah. I don't blame you because we don't have it here. We don't have it here. That's for sure. So, Nate, we're going to take a quick break, pay some bills, and then we'll come back and we're going to get a little more on your background, talk some music, and and some more food, too. We'll be right back. St. Pete is all about local, and this year we celebrate a local legend's 25th anniversary. Roland Oates Market and Cafe was founded in July of 94 by Bert Swain and Larry Schwartz. From the beginning, Roland Oats has made a commitment to provide St. Pete customers with the finest quality organic whole foods, nutritional supplements, and body care products at the most reasonable prices possible. And now they have a South Tampa location too. We go there for many items, but they are the only place that we go to buy our raw probiotics and other supplements. They have the best organic whole food selection in town, and on the flip side of that, they also offer a fantastic selection of wines and an unparalleled selection of local craft beer. Rollin' Oats has a cafe, Open Daily, which offers delicious sandwiches, burgers, soups, salads, bowls, wraps, entrees, and fresh-made smoothies, along with a variety of prepared and packaged take-home meals located in the market itself. Do you pride yourself with supporting local businesses? Well, put your money where your mouth is and get on into Rollin' Oats today. Rollin' Oats St. Pete is located at 2842 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Street North. And in South Tampa, you'll find them at 1021 North McDill Avenue. Check them out on the web at rollinoats.com. That's R-O-L-L-I-N oats.com. And Rollin' Oats offers online ordering with curbside pickup. Hey, Lori. 
Have you ever been to Noble Crust? I have. What do you like there? Pork belly, pimento cheese, and fried green tomatoes are my favorite. Oh yeah, I love that one too. They actually call it the FGBLT. It's fried green tomatoes, pork belly glazed with a Tabasco honey sauce and pimento cheese. Mm-hmm. And it's the first item on the menu, so you can't miss it. And I think they should actually call it the OMG. Yeah, you've said that before. The chicken marsala is really good too. It has chicken and chicken sausage, criminy mushrooms, and four cheese grits. It's so delicious. I love that they mix classics from the American Deep South and Italy. Noble Crust is famous for their fried chicken. I love it. Yeah, and the eggplant parmesan is out of this world. When we do a best eggplant parm list, it'll definitely be on there. Yes, it will. Speaking of lists, Noble Crust made six of them recently. Best Italian, Best Casual Dining, Best Pizza, Best Bloody Marys, Best Meatballs, and, believe it or not, Best Salads. Ooh, can I tell you another one of my favorite items? Yeah. The spaghetti and meatballs. It's oh, so good. Man, you're not kidding. You know what? They have a brunch on Saturdays and Sundays starting at 1030, which I love. And the deviled eggs are to die for. Let's go to Noble Crust right now. I'm in. Let's do it. We are back. We are back. We are back with jazz recording artist, Nate Najar. And Nate, did you grow up in St. Pete? I was born here. I am officially an orange. How cool is that? Wow. Officially an orange. (laughs) I was was born at St. Anthony's Hospital, which is about four blocks from where I currently live. Right. That's awesome. I went to St. Pete High School. Um, I was in the IB program. I was in the International Baccalaureate program. I'm probably the only IB graduate in the history of the world that does not have a college education. (laughs) (laughs) What made you decide not to go to college? Um, The people at college. Ah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave it at that. That's a different, that's another story. I was, I was in, I was in a, uh, I was in a music program for about six weeks and then I wasn't. So, Ah. um, and then I, and, and, and then after that, I found a gig on Central Avenue playing with a piano player five nights a week for $300 a week cash. And my rent at the time, my rent up on first street was only $400 a month. So I was, (laughs) wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So when did you start playing music? I started playing about maybe 11 years old. Uh, what we used to do is, you know, because we grew up in Florida, uh, we, uh, and I four wasn't a mess back then. Uh, we used to go to Disney kind of all the time, you know? And so did we, my dad took us all the time. Yeah. I mean, it was back before they, they sold tickets like, like to for each ride. Oh, that's how long it's been for me. <laughs> You're a little older than I am. Yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, when when I when I was going there, it was like twenty bucks to get in, though. I mean, right, you know, right. And uh, so, yeah, but I mean, we went to Disney all the time, and because it was only an hour away. I mean, there was no traffic. There was it was easy to do. Right. And Disney wasn't crowded back then, and you know, uh, Disney's they've got a show on every corner. They got a show on the here, 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 and so forth and so on. And you know, these days it's somebody singing and dancing, and you hear the music. But back then, you know, of course, we didn't, they didn't have uh, tracks in any kind of meaningful way. And so, you know, all the shows were, there was a band accompanying every show. And I wasn't really looking at the people dancing and singing. I was always looking at the guy with the, with the yellow guitar playing in the band down. And they said, I want to, I want to be him. I want to do what he's doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For my, um, 
I think it was my 10th birthday. Uh, my parents, no, not birthday for, uh, Christmas when I was 10 years old, it was Christmas. My parents got me a guitar and, uh, I was really bad for a very long time. Yeah. And then at some point I started being less bad and, uh, I was less bad for a very long time, and uh, I'm I'm sort of just now starting to feel like I can play a little bit on this thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was uh, watching your interview with WUSF, uh, the jazz station. You and Daniela were on there, and you were telling the story that when you were 17 or 18, you decided you needed a nylon string guitar, which is one of the things you're known for now. And how come you suddenly needed a nylon string guitar? Uh, well, I had started uh, taking guitar lessons from a guy who, um, unfortunately he's no longer with us. Um, uh, he was, he was very old at the time. His name is Frank Mullen. And, uh, Frank has, uh, obviously, uh, you know, he's gone, so he's not teaching anymore. Uh, but kind of before my gen, the generation before me and the generation before that, if you played guitar in this town, at some point you, you took lessons from Frank Mullen. He was, uh, um, but he came here from Washington, D.C. in the early 70s, and he was like the epitome of the cool 1960s jazz man. That was the that was the thing. Uh, but so I'm, I'm going on a tangent because that's what I do. But, but <laughs> so I was started taking lessons from Frank. I've, you know, I'm 17 years old and I knew somebody at school whose uh, whose dad was a student over there. And Frank was like the guy to go to if you want to learn jazz because he's the real deal. And um and uh, so he accepted me as a student. I went down to his house and, I did, and he says, you have to get a classical guitar. And I said, why? He says, because that's what we do our lessons on. You see, Frank, he, um, he learned how to play classical guitar. And uh, even though he was a jazz player, he was studying in D.C. with uh, the great Sophocles Pappas. And the relevance of this story here is that um, Sophocles Pappas had a school in the, he's, it actually started it in the twenties. He had a school in Washington, DC for classical guitar. He was a great, great, um, ambassador of the guitar, very good friends with Andres Segovia. And so Segovia would come to see his students a lot and they'd hang out in DC and they, uh, and so, so forth and so on. And so Sophocles is like the, the man of the guitar in DC. And he had this program, brilliant guy, actually. He had this program where, um, if you came uh, with the GI bill, you could study at my school for free. So, you know, and all these guys were coming back uh, from World War II and then from Korea, and they were taking guitar lessons uh, at Sophocles Pappas' school. They were all learning how to play classical guitar. And another one of the students at Sophocles Pappas' place was Charlie Bird. And Mm -hmm. um, Frank and Charlie were very good friends. You know, they were, Frank was just maybe a couple years younger than Charlie, and they were both in Washington, D.C. And, uh, so, and then there was another guy that you've never heard of, but he's kind of Washington royal, uh, legendary in Washington named Bill Harris. And those were the three guys that were jazz musicians that were also playing classical guitar at Sophocles Pappas' place. Uh, Charlie went on to have a really big career. Um, Bill Harris is Washington, uh, a Washington legend and made some records, but didn't really get a big name outside of Washington. And mm-hmm. Although he had a he had a club in Georgetown for a while called Pigfoot, and it was a barbecue joint and jazz club. Nice. <laughs> I'm gonna find a video from uh, like the promo video of Pigfoot and send it to you because it's a good it's it's um, it's charming. Uh, <laughs> but so anyway, so uh, 
back to me and the guitar. So I'm taking guitar lessons from this guy who is a jazz guy, but he, they do the classical thing. And so he says, you get a classical guitar. We do your lessons on this instrument and you play with your fingers, even if we're doing this, 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 or this. Um, although we never really worked on technique. So, you know, we just, we play the repertoire and we'd move on to the next thing and so forth. Uh, and that's a, that's another story I had to, um, later on, I, I, I had to do some refinement cause, uh, we just, we just didn't work on technique. We only worked on music. So, but my concept was refined. Uh, when I picked up the classical guitar, I said, wow, this instrument is so poetic. This instrument has such, mm -hmm. there's such a thing to the sound of this, of this box. And it's, it's, it's like an orchestra. It's like a piano. It's, it was just far preferable to the steel string plectrum style, you know, where you play with the pick and little mm -hmm. notes or you play single notes and then you strum a chord, that kind of thing. That was, it's, it, they're different instruments. And I just fell in love with the, uh, the complete possibilities and especially the sonority of this box. So, um, and that's how I found Charlie Bird too, because, you know, Frank told me about Charlie and I wanted to, obviously I was interested in the jazz, but now I'm really loving this instrument. Who do I listen to? And, uh, to go a little further down the path, uh, that's how I started finding, I mean, I've been playing Brazilian music for 30 years and, um, no, that's not true for 25 years. I've been playing Brazilian music and, uh, and that was the natural progression. I went from Charlie Bird into Brazilian music, uh, where, when, you know, to this day, um, when uh, a Brazilian picks up a guitar, you know, like, you know, like here, for instance, you know, people, oh, I want to play guitar, you get a guitar, and then, you know, you strum it, and you sing, you know, whatever song you're going to sing, right? So down right. there, down in Brazil, when they pick up a guitar, it's always a classical guitar. That's hmm. like a steel string guitar is, that's the special one. But the classical guitar is, that's just a guitar in Brazil. So that's oh, interesting. All, all like the folk and the singer songwriter types and stuff. They're all playing nylon string guitars because that's what a guitar is in Brazil. So that was a natural hmm. progression, you know, starting to finding Brazilian music. It's, it's just, it was suited to, uh, uh, to what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. So you've been doing some, you've been doing a show love and bossa Nova from your balcony of your condo. Yeah, we uh, we do it every Friday night at seven thirty, and it streams on uh, Facebook on my page and Daniela's page, and also on YouTube and Daniela's website. So everybody's got a, a a place to find it, whether they're on social media or not. And um, that started because we had a concert at the Palladium in Huff Hall on the twentieth of March. It was oh. Nate Najar's Jazz Samba Celebration. I had people coming from out of town to play the gig, and it was going to be a, a large band, lots of guests, and a really kind of fun program. And then, of right. course, the pandemic hit that week. Right. So, uh, it was before any shutdowns, but it was obviously the very obvious that oh, we better cancel this show. This isn't you know. Uh, and I turned to Danielle and I said, why don't we just play like you and I, let's do something on the, you know, on the balcony and stream it to Facebook. And she said, that's a great idea. <laughs> and so I did it with my phone and, uh, we had a great time and it was a lot of fun and we got a really, I'm surprised at how good of a response we got. We got a very, very nice response. So let's do it again next week. And, uh, I figured out how to hook my camera up to the, up to the computer to get a little better image for the next week. So we did that. And then let's do it again. And then I got a little more sophisticated with the setup and, uh, we missed two weeks because of, uh, because of Daniela and the kids getting COVID and, and, uh, and me having to be out of the house for, uh, um, 
so I could play my concert at the Palladium. So we right. managed to do 30 weeks and then we missed two weeks. And then last week was 33 and uh, wow. this week will be 34. Um, and we've done it from other places. You know, we, um, in July, we bugged out, we went up to the North Carolina to the mountains and rented a cabin. And so we did one in the cabin. Nice. And, uh, we, uh, yeah. Uh, so we've done them from a few other places and we've done a few with a, with the full band, uh, like we did one at studio at 620 and we brought the band in for that and, you know, cool. they get kind of sophisticated, but yeah, 30, this, awesome. this will be, uh, yeah, it's, uh, 34. Yep. So we've been talking a lot about, uh, bossa nova and here's a just a quick clip from one of my favorite songs and probably one of the best known ones that's been done by a ton of artists the girl from impanima and here's a quick clip of you and daniela doing it So you've also, during COVID, uh, the Suncoast Jazz Festival, like tons of events, couldn't really happen live, but you produced some videos so they could hold it virtually, and that was uh, November 20th and through 22nd. Yeah, that yeah, I'll tell you what, it turned out great. You know, it's the 30th year of the Suncoast Jazz Festival. Wow. I, I've been involved for about five years. I, I I advise the board on programming. You know, they basically, right. I get asked my opinion on artists or on the schedule or this or that. And I say, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? And then, of course, you know, uh, af after I spew my opinion, then my input is over. You know, I'm not stopping. Oh, it must be. To, no, I, right. just, I say, you know, and then use the information however you want. And, and um, so it's been really a nice journey to uh, to be involved with the with the festival and a lot of people don't know about it because it's overshadowed by the Clearwater jazz holiday. Yeah. I was going to say that, right. right. Which, you know, the Clearwater jazz holiday, Coachman park, big major music festival. Yes. Um, not a lot of jazz, but they do a very good job of, of making sure that they include uh, a, you know, a good jazz component, a good crossover component. And uh, I'll tell you the biggest, I, I realize we're talking about Suncoast and now I'm telling you about Clearwater Jazz Holiday, but <laughs> I do. Um, I, I just, I, I, I want to say that I think the Clearwater Jazz Holiday uh, does a really wonderful job with the, um, with their educational outreach, which is, that's sort of their main mission throughout the year. And that's all real straight jazz for the students in the community. And, uh, and so that's, that's pretty special, uh, right. but they do overshadow the Suncoast Jazz Festival, which is a completely different thing. 30 years now out on the beach, it's out on Sand Key, uh, mm -hmm. the Sheraton Sand Key. It's actually the Sheraton and then the Marriott across the street. Mm -hmm. So check this out on, on, on a normal year, on a normal year, there are there's four ballrooms, uh, and two bars and sometimes one or two outdoor venues that have continuous music from it starts thir Thursday nights, the opening gala. And then Friday, the band started about 11 o'clock in the morning and they go to, uh, they go to about one or two in the morning. Sometimes, sometimes the jam sessions go two or three in the morning in the wow. bar in the one place, continuous music, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in all these different venues at the hotel at the same time. And you just wow. walk the wall, the, the hallways of the hotel and you go, what's going on in this room right now? And you check it out and know oh, this band's playing, you know, the big ballrooms, 600 seats and, and right. you know, down there's another ballroom with 400 seats and there's another act playing. And it, it's, Awesome. It's like a little Brigadoon is what it is. Cool. And uh, it's it's just such a cool 
weekend and people come from all over the country and all over the world and they stay at the hotel and it's just, right. you know, and then, you know, after you're set, you go sit at a table and somebody, and you know, you, next thing you know, you drank a half a bottle of Jameson with somebody <laughs> that you never met before and you're having a great time. It's really, uh, it's really hip. So that's what the Suncoast Jazz Festival usually is. Right. And it started as like a, uh, what we call trad jazz, or uh, which really the, the right term is classic jazz. Um, but trad is a term that's been used for a very long time and a term that's not really, uh, that's not a term that's frowned upon, but tends to be used a lot. It's always used a lot less now is Dixieland. And mm-hmm. that's how it started. And then it evolved and kind of started to bring in more uh, contemporary jazz styles or more, uh, um, you know, just other jazz styles and so forth. And, uh, right. and, you know, now it's like a regular jazz festival. It's all jazz bass. You know, you're not going to see a rock act or something like that. And that's, uh, uh, but, uh, it's all jazz based and it's mostly swing jazz, but, uh, there's still an emphasis on classic jazz in it. And, uh, so it's the 30th year to, you know, 2020 is the 30th anniversary and it'd be wow. a pain to miss something. Right. So I, I went to Joan, Joan Dragon is the, um, uh, artistic director. She's the, well, she's the executive director. She's the director of the festival. And, um, I went to Joan and I said, uh, this is back in July. I said, I have an idea if you want to try to do this. And this was just because I'd been, you know, I'd been in camera world and video world since we were doing our live streams. I said, why don't we do a live stream virtual festival? And she says, how do we do that? Yeah. <laughs> I got it. I'll figure, I'll figure it out. And I came up with a couple of options and, um, the important thing we thought about selling a ticket and then we said, no, it better be free. We'll get better reach this way. Uh, a lot of our corporate sponsors, thankfully they all decided to, to keep their money in for this nice. year. So, um, you know, the bands aren't getting paid what they normally would be paid to travel to Florida and play for a weekend. But at the same time, you know, they, they did did what they needed to do from wherever they were. So what we did is we we decided to do a free festival and every act that we included in this particular virtual festival, we um they got an honorarium, so everybody got paid uh like I said it's not big money, but everybody got paid. Right, right. And um and what they did is you'd record a video of a 45 to 60 minute show. But it has to be a bespoke show for the Suncoast Festival. This is, you know, I don't want a YouTube of something you did last year at some other venue. Right, um, right, right. Making a bespoke show for this festival and send it in. And I assembled everything and we and we live streamed it, uh, you know, for the for the festival week. Uh, so you had, you know, so so hey, Suncoast, uh, you know, uh, this is. Uh, whoever I am, Dave, Dave Bennett, the world, world famous clarinetist up in, uh, I'm in Michigan right now. Sorry, we're not on the beach in Florida, but here's a concert for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, so it was really, it, it was really hip and uh, I'm really proud of it and excited. Awesome. That was a great idea. Yeah. It's awesome. glad that we didn't miss our 30th anniversary. Right. That's great. Right. So you have 13 albums out. Is that correct? I have no idea. <laughs> well, that's how many I counted on your website. The the latest being American Melodies, which came out in the infamous month of March 2020. Mm-hmm. It's very jazzy, very acoustic, with just you on classical guitar and Tommy Cecil on stand-up bass. And what's cool is there's no percussion, but it's still percussive. Just because of the way you guys play your instruments. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, you know, to- Tommy is... Uh Tommy's sense of time is 
not only unwavering, but it is authoritative. Uh, it's, I have never, I've, I've played with some fine, fine, fine musicians. I played with some legendary musicians and, uh, I have never encountered a sense of time like Tommy's it's, he's the, I've, and I've been playing with him for 15 years. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And it's, it's easier for, for musicians to understand that. Like I, you just brought me back to uh, when I was like in my twenties in a classic rock band and our drummer we just go faster and faster and faster. <laughs> I'm like, dude, slow down. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, you, you need to have a, a stable, but it, it, it doesn't have to sit, be metronomic. It can, it can ebb and flow, but it has to ebb and flow in a, in a meaningful way rather mm-hmm. than, you know, and then there's an articulation of the beat. There's a conversation we could get into about this, but it's not, it's not going to be relevant to most listeners. So right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm going to stop myself, but there's. <laughs> so before we go. Do you have any favorite St. Pete restaurants? Oh my goodness. I've got a lot of favorite St. Pete restaurants. <laughs> St. Pete has done really well in the food department. They have. We have. They um, have. We have. <laughs> let's see. So um, I'd say probably, I think my favorite restaurant in St. Pete is going to be Anata. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Anata, yes. Definitely up there. And and uh, I've, I've, the other thing is, um, generally speaking in a tourist market like Pinellas County. Generally speaking, service uh, is, um, it's like, especially when you get out to the beaches and like those kinds of places, you know, uh, and it all, and it's not, the, it's not the servers, it's, you know, it's the management and so forth, but there's, right. uh, there is uh, uh, what can really make or break a restaurant that has good food is the attentiveness and the level of service. Right. Since day one, I've uh, been consistently impressed with just what a fantastic, and I don't, I, I'm, I'm not saying this to knock other restaurants. I'm saying this to elevate Anata and mm-hmm. that what a fantastic job they do uh, with service. The, mm-hmm. uh, the people who, who work there, you know, from the back of the house to the front of the house, that people who work there really make an effort to right. uh, make sure that the guest has a exquisite experience. And, um, you know, and it's a beach drive restaurant. It's a little expensive, but you know, it's not Burns expensive, and yet it's 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 the, one of the finest experiences you can have in town. Yeah, we agree with you on that. Yeah, totally. So that's for like regular dining, and then like for a cafe. I mean, I'm you know, I'm just I'm jumping up and down. I'm so vocal about going to Mickey's on Central right. Avenue because it's real food. You know, right, mm-hmm. right. Mickey serves is you know we're we've. Danielle has always been very health conscious and I kind of never have been. And now, you know, because of the influence, I'm starting to become health conscious and I'm seeing the benefits. It's not, you know, to me, it's not, not about, oh, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that. But just if you're going to eat something, you know, just make sure it's real and it's good and you're Mm -hmm. not. Eat the good stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and I just, I love Mickey's because everything is fresh and everything is real and uh, and also it's reasonable. So right, uh, it is very reasonable. And Mickey's a really cool. He guy. He is too. a really great guy. Yeah, our neighbor actually. You know, he, he is. Oh, oh that's so funny. Yeah, he, when we're on tour, he he feeds our cat. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so we we lunch there a lot. But I'm just uh, and then I I I want, I want to give one other plug, and that is um, uh, Daniela's sister's birthday. Uh, recently, we went to the um, uh, Cider Press Cafe. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. It was fantastic you know and there's only one vegan in the family and that's that's the uh, their mother uh-huh. uh, 
you know, and, and, uh, you know, Danielle's a vegetarian and the rest of us eat everything. Uh, right. you know, so we go to this vegan restaurant, right? It was fantastic. I could not believe how good this restaurant was. Yeah. So, they're pretty unique too. They're very unique. Yes. So I really wanted to give a plug for that because I'm just, uh, I'm just so impressed. And of course there's so, I mean, you know, we could be here for an hour just naming, you know, right. restaurants yeah. and, and why they're good. And, you know, and then we'll just leave out the ones that we, you know, that are less good than these that we don't go to anymore. Right. Right. Exactly. Funny thing is I'm always asking people this question and it's like a question that I hated somebody asked me. Right. (laughs) Because it's like, it's like, who's your favorite, which which one of your kids is your favorite? Right. 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 So want to remind everybody that you have a show coming up at the Palladium on Friday, December 11th at 730. It's a Nate Najar's jazz holiday. holiday. Jazz holiday. Thank you. Nate Najar's jazz holiday. And the website is, NateNajar.com, yep. N-A-T-E-N-A-J-A-R.com, and also same on Facebook. That's it. Yes. Nate, thank, thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much, Nate. I can't thank you enough for having me on. This was, I, I, I tell you what, I can't wait to, you know, let's all go to Anada and get a glass of wine and just uh, just you know, run our mouths for an hour or two. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in on that. And, yes. and next, next time we interview you, we'll see if we can get you to come out of your shell a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Keep on moving. One of our favorite places to go eat in St. Pete is Engine Number 9. They've been a staple in downtown St. Pete coming up on seven years, and they are famous for their unique and tasty burger creations. As a matter of fact, they are on the St. Pete Foodies list of best burgers in St. Pete. They also made the best hot dogs list, the best chilies, and the best wings in St. Pete. Aside from the food, Engine Number 9 is a great sports bar with lots of TVs, beer, and wine. And you can even get a regular old cheeseburger, too, so you can bring your non-adventurous eater friends. Check out Engine Number 9 at the corner of MLK and 1st Avenue North in downtown St. Pete. Their burgers can't be beat. I have something I want to talk about regarding salads. Yes. So we typically have a side salad to accompany our our dinner usually. And sometimes we actually have the salad as the meal. Right. And that's obviously a bigger salad. But not all meal salads are created equal. Correct. Some have a lot of stuff that makes them not so healthy. That's true. Do you know how much crap is in bottled dressings? A ton. Yeah, it's a long list of unnatural ingredients and preservatives, and my favorite one is calcium disodium EDTA. Yum. Yeah, Google it. Look it up. It's obviously it's approved by the FDA, but they're saying it's controversial. Ah. Mm-hmm. So that's where Greenstock comes in. They are a chef-driven, ingredient-focused, salad and wraps, fast casual eatery right in the heart of downtown St. Pete, and they're the sponsor for this segment. And that's what's for lunch today. Now, they make all of their own dressings from scratch. They do, and they're delicious. In-house, they make them. There's no ingredients that you never heard of or can't pronounce. Right. And I don't know how many places can say that. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's other restaurants that make their own dressings. There are. I'm sure there's a lot that don't. Right. Uh, You know, everything is fresh at Greenstock. Nothing comes out of a can. That's the number one rule. And you can see all the ingredients right there in the case. And... Also in the case, they have another case now that has the butcher shop items from St. Pete Meat and Provisions. Such good quality. So you can see all that yes, stuff too. Yes, great quality. 
And and on the salad side, you can see this bright yellow ears of corn, unshucked. I mean, that's as fresh as it gets. Plump red Roma tomatoes that look really good. Green stock is what's for lunch today. It is. And what did you get, Laura? Mine was delicious. I got the little green, created it myself. Yeah, got li- it. little, excuse me, little green means the smaller, smaller version. Smaller version, Which correct. is not that small, really. No, it's not. I actually split it into two, but they probably won't, don't want me to say that, but you know. Anyway, I always, we always get ours tossed, not chopped, because we prefer our salads that way. Mine today was romaine and kale. Then I had cucumbers, tomatoes, beets, and red pickled onions. And I also added some extra, some jicama and watermelon radish. And then for my toppings, I had sunflower seeds and crispy wasabi peas. And then I added some extra delicious fresh tuna. They have the best mm-hmm. tuna. Um, yeah, I didn't get any lot. dressing because I just used uh, red wine vinegar and olive oil is my new favorite these days. Right. Yeah, and I was busy doing some stuff. So I, of course trusted you to put together a you inspired so they say so chef inspired are set items and then you inspired is you just pick from their ingredients and make up your own salad what you want in it so what you did for me which was awesome by the way so it was mine i forgot to say that it was great yeah and and like i said earlier like we get the small size but it's so big we usually don't finish it for lunch and then have some of it with our dinner and this time i ate the whole thing but what that meant is I wasn't hungry in the middle of the afternoon and needed a snack. Right. I'm still good. So I had kale, spinach, cucumbers. And I like that they cut the cucumbers in like small little yes. like mm-hmm. uh, like triangular wedges. Tomatoes, pickled onions, edamame. What does this thing say here? You wrote this. Peas. What are the peas? I don't know what this is. Snap peas. <laughs> Snap peas. Okay. Peppers. Crispy wasabi. Crispy wasabi was kind of like the Crispy se- wasabi peas. It was kind of like the secret ingredient. Oh, no, they're awesome, right? When you get that crunch in there, that's one of your tricks when you make salads too. You put some little crunchy stuff in there. Same with the pepitas. And of course, I had the tuna as well. And I went with the uh, house miso ginger dressing, which Mm. is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's one of my favorites too. Yeah. Delicious. So as I said before, they combined with their butcher shop business, St. Pete Meat and Provisions, and they have the highest quality steaks, chicken, pork, farm fresh eggs, and a bunch of other sundries. And you can buy those right at Greenstock when you're getting a salad. So check out Greenstock on the 400 block of Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete. They are open for dine-in or takeout. Their hours are from 1030 to 6, Monday through Saturday. And you can order on their website, which is eatatgreenstock.com. And you'll find the butcher shop at stpetemeat.com. This is Chris Walker, and you're listening to CP Foodies Podcast. Next week on the show, we'll be talking to Joey Ledit. He is the GM at the New Urban Stillhouse, which is in the Warehouse Arts District, and they have been getting rave reviews, including from us, and they have a really cool backstory, and we can't wait to have Joey tell you guys, because he already told us. If you'd like to send us fan mail, hate mail, or if you have any requests for interviews or restaurant reviews, just send an email to info at stpetersburgfoodies.com. That's it for this episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest, Nate Najar. And thanks to our sponsors. Greenstock. Rolling Oats. The Zest Podcast. Noble Crust. Booyu Ramen. And and Engine Engine Number number 9. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News. And our theme music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. 
We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please give us a rating and review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show. And remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. We're here with Gloria West uh, in the studio, and we have our Fast Five Foodies questions. So, Woo-hoo. Gloria, are you ready? Yes. What's your favorite food? Pickles. Pickles. Can, just, th- does it have to be like a whole meal? No. Mm. So just pickles out of a jar? Yeah. How about fried pickles? I do like those as well, yes. Have you ever had them at engine number nine? I have not. You have to. Lori says they are the best in the city. Oh, I love pickles, yeah. <laughs> What, I will have to go try those. What's your favorite restaurant in St. Pete? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I play at Anata every three weeks, and it's pretty amazing.